0: The Nonprofit Hour, a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders with interviews, profiles, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Hour on x-ray.fm, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. I'm Henry Leisha. On today's show, we'll take a look at how nonprofits around Portland are making a positive impact on the community while promoting an active lifestyle. First, we will learn about Skate Like a Girl, a nonprofit that provides skateboarding clinics for women and girls of all ages. Next, we will speak to Brian Mayo about Reach the Beach, a unique bike riding fundraiser in support of the American Lung Association. Finally, we will take a listen to a short radio documentary produced by Barb Seaman about a librarian from Cascade Middle School who created a pickleball league to help raise money to buy more books for the library. It's a crisp Sunday morning in southeast Portland. At the corner of 20th and Hawthorne, an industrial garage door is open to reveal an ocean of concrete skate ramps and a cluster of young girls picking their way through a pile of helmets, elbow pads, knee pads, and of course, skateboards.
1: I appreciate that. Uh, if you guys need a helmet, if you need a board, if you need pads, they're all right over here. Parents, I'm gonna ask in about five minutes, just poke your head in the shop. I wanna get everybody
0: check in. I so just wanna know who they brought. For the past 10 years, Skate Like a Girl PDX has offered skateboarding clinics and camps to women and girls. Coaches teach everything from basic stance and pushing to ollies, kickflips, and other fun tricks. This particular session is a monthly clinic for beginners aged 5 to 8. With the help of a few young volunteers, Terence Stillen Rooney, the director of the organization, gathers the young skaters together for a quick pow-wow before the clinic begins.
1: All right. Welcome, ladies. This is the Skate Like a Girl Sunday clinic. My name is Terrence. Um, This is
2: Sophia right here. But anyway, uh, we got the beginner clinic. Thank you, ladies, for coming out. Thank you, mom and dad, for bringing it
3: out. Uh, We're going to have fun today. Uh, We're going to go around the circle real quick. I want you to say your name. And I want you to say how long you've been skateboarding
1: for. And I want you to say what your favorite type of candy is. Okay. Everybody got one? Anybody want to go first?
0: After sharing their names, how long they've been skating, and their favorite candy, the girls get down to some shredding. Parents, older siblings, and guardians stand by, watching the controlled chaos. Among them is Kai Steinle, who brought her daughter, Lanaya, to the clinic. It was their first time. They had heard about Skate Like a Girl at a friend's birthday party at Commonwealth Skate Park. I asked her what she thought about the monthly clinics.
4: Oh, I think it's an amazing resource to be invited and, and given a little space. Um, you know, it's mainly been something she does with her dad, so I think it's great to come do it with other girls that are interested and not see it as just something boys do or something tomboys do, which is, I think, an idea she might have had <laughs> previously. So it's great to see everybody in here. There's lots of pink here today, so you can be pink and crash. <laughs> it's a great
5: message. <laughs>
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, and and then your your daughter, do you think this is something she's going to be kind of continuing on her own? Or or do you think you'll be coming back here later?
4: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she's um, the type of girl that really um, enjoys some risk. And so we try to find the the healthy and constructive outlets for that.
0: Right at that moment, Kai's daughter, Lanaya, rolled straight up to us on her board. (laughs) Hi, what's your name? Lanaya. (laughs) Lanaya? And, uh, how old are you? What? How old are you?
6: Six. My birthday was just yesterday.
0: Oh, happy birthday. (laughs) And, uh, so, so have you learned anything new today while, while skating around? Yes. What'd you learn? Duck walk. A duck walk? What, what's a duck walk? (laughs) So we see she's standing on the nose and the tail of the board, walking left, right, left, right in the in the manner of a duck <laughs> That's that's pretty amazing. I also spoke with Jared Brandt, a longtime skateboarder from Southern California. He had heard about the Skate Like a Girl clinics while stopping by the skate shop and thought it would be fun for his daughter to try out a new skate spot. And do, do you ever go skateboarding with your daughter?
3: yeah all the time um, we don't we don't do parks because we don't have any near us but we go outside and just skate the streets that's pretty much how I ended up doing it um, but the park is something different that's why we come down here uh, give her a chance to roll around feel something different outside of just the street mm-hmm. yeah I grew up skating um, in Southern California at the age seven i'm 37 now so 30 years later still doing it and wanted to show my daughter uh, something
0: different outside of gymnastics and ballet and and so why do you think that uh you know organizations like skate like a girl and and, uh, programs like this are are necessary for girls you know why why do you think there might not be as many girls at the skate park i just think it's all about educating
3: them i think most girls if they're not um i don't know out of sight out of mind if they're not Uh, introduced to it, then they kind of never know or never will take that chance. Um, What's great about this is when they come here and it's only girls skateboarding, they feel a bit more comfortable at ease. So I think it's a great introductory uh, lesson for them.
0: Have you noticed any any change in your daughter since she's started coming here? Has has her skating improved? How have things changed?
3: Most definitely. Her confidence is way up uh, for skateboarding. She's, she's more into it. She sees other girls doing it. Um, she wants to get better and better. Um, so, I mean, the big thing is really the confidence level for her to know that she can just go out in the garage and step on a board anytime um, is a nice feeling.
0: Skaters have always taken pride in the independent DIY attitude of their community. Many are loath to call skateboarding a sport in part because there are no rules. And that's the beauty of it. There's no correct way to skate, and nobody can tell you how to express yourself on the board. But often, this fiercely independent mentality can be intimidating for beginners. Trying something new and potentially dangerous is scary. Skate Like a Girl provides the perfect environment for girls who are curious about skating to gain the skills and confidence necessary to get out and ride. And in a greater sense, perhaps learning to ride a skateboard can help these girls develop the courage to take risks and challenge themselves in life. For more on Skate Like a Girl, we turn to our conversation with Terrence Stillen Rooney.
4: Alright, welcome. It's the Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm Phil Bussey. I am in the studio with Terrence Stillen Rooney, mm-hmm. who is the chapter director for Skate Like a Girl. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you?
4: Good, good. I, you didn't
1: skateboard over here, did you? I did not. No, I drove my old beat-up Volkswagen. <laughs>
4: So Skate Like a Girl, Uh, we're talking about skateboarding. Uh, It's a West Coast organization. Uh, It's based in Seattle, but it has chapters in Portland and San Francisco.
1: Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So Seattle's been the longest running chapter. They've been up for 17 years. Um, We just got San Francisco rolling down in San Francisco. And uh, we're always looking to expand, but we want to do it kind of sustainably. We don't want to make San Francisco or Seattle or Portland kind of burden themselves with a a new chapter too early. All right. You are new in the position as chapter director, a month in, but I,
4: I imagine that you know the origin story of Skate Like a Girl.
1: Yeah, I mean the origin story kind of um, for anyone that's familiar with skateboarding, it kind of tells itself. Uh, skateboarding's primarily a boys' club, you know. Um, for the most part, it uh, when Skate Like Girls started 17 years ago up in Seattle, it was um, still a very counterculture activity. It was still um, kind of I want to I don't want to put down anyone that was skating in that time. But it was kind of like the you know, you didn't do anything else, so you skated. And uh it was kind of intimidating. A lot of guys had really thick exteriors. It was really hard to break into if you were um if you were kind of an outsider, you had to, you know, prove your worth. It's very similar to like you see it in surfing still today, but then, you know, for as long as surfing's been around. Um so a lot of females were turned off by it. You know, they um, they would get vibed out at the parks or they would try and then get ridiculed for, you know, not being into it enough or something like that. Uh, so Skate Lake Girl said, hey, this is a problem. We want to get more girls in the skateboarding. So let's start putting together some programs to help them get their feet wet, help them get acclimated. And then the ultimate goal is really just to be able to empower women to start skating and then also to change kind of the dynamic of skateboarding a little bit to make it normal to have guys and girls at the park at the same time, to make it normal for guys when girls show up, that it's not the, you know, the um, kind of white elephant. It's not like something to like stare at, you know, it's normal. And, and uh, as somebody that, that does hang
4: out at skate parks, do you feel like it is more normal now?
1: Um, it's a hell of a lot better than it was when I first started skating. Um, I think there's still work to be done, and I think anyone in any kind of marginalized group uh, organization like this will tell you the same thing. Like, There's no day where we get to hang up our hats and say, like, all right, work's done. Tell me a little bit about what, what Skate Like a Girl
4: does on on a daily basis. I mean, this is more than just teaching how to do tricks. I mean, this is teaching... Uh, uh, skills and personality and leadership and, right. and those ideas. I, I, do do you sort of Trojan horse that in and and people come in and they think they're going to learn how to skate and instead you're teaching them these these life skills or how does it all work?
1: Um, it's a it's a little bit of a Trojan horse. That's a good way to put it. Um, you know the one of the greatest things about skateboarding is um, it's super super hard. It's very difficult and even after you accomplish something you might not do it again for another. 10, 50, 100 tries. So uh, there's a lot of life lessons that can be learned through skateboarding, like perseverance and um, you know self worth, accomplishments. Um, those are things that come as you work through skateboarding. So yeah, a lot of a lot of the participants come in expecting to learn how to skateboard, do tricks. Um, when you talk to maybe the parents of the participants, they'll say, "Hey, you know, um, I know that you guys are going to." instill these other values so yeah teach them at a skateboard but you know my daughter's having a little a little bit of a confidence issue or she's a little shy and what we've seen time and time again is uh those shy skaters come out of their shell a little bit the ones that have a little less confidence suddenly once they get a little bit of progression going they're off to the races and you kind of got to reel them back in a little bit you're like oh uh, not 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 yet we'll work (laughs) on that but um so yeah, I mean, the things that you're touching on, um, really the values, uh, that's why I love the work. Um, obviously, I like skateboarding too. But um, seeing kids uh, grow and then seeing the look on their parents' face when they seemingly have a new child after a clinic than they did when they showed up um, is really, really nice. And so, so
4: clinics, uh, these, are, these are like short camps. These are a week long. This is a couple weeks long. I mean, is that how it works?
1: Um, so we got a couple different programs that are running in Portland right now. Uh, we do clinics at Commonwealth Skateboarding uh, down on, what's it, Hawthorne and 20th? Matt's going to kill me. Uh, so it's at Commonwealth. We do those the first and second Sunday of the month. Um, we have kind of different age brackets, and then we also have an all-age, all-ability bracket. Uh, we do after-school programs, primarily through a lot of the sun programs in the in the area, um, those have been really, really awesome. We get to work with the same group of kids every single week, typically for about an hour. Um, some programs are a little more robust. Some we do one hour a week. Uh, and and then on top of that, we in the past have done ladies' nights where it's just a good opportunity for female skateboarders of Portland to get together and have fun and maybe get away from that boys' club atmosphere that I was talking about. Um, so that's that's most of the programming we're running right now, but it kind of runs the gamut you know?
4: yeah and and let me ask maybe an obvious question then you're a boy mm-hmm. and you're running an organization that's called skate like a Girl mm-hmm. is there any irony there
1: um yeah i mean that was that was a big question I, I definitely got asked if I was going to have an issue with it during the interview process um it seems to be one of those things that people are curious about on a um I don't want to say a theoretical level, but it's, it's, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I have a storied history of working with children. Um, I have a storied history of, uh, working with children in action sports instruction. So when the kids show up, yeah, they might make a comment. For example, my first clinic, they said, Oh, well, you're a boy. I said, right. And you get to skate like a girl today. So it's, the focus is not on me. The focus is on our participants. Um, I definitely uh, have taken kind of an approach where, you know, clearly I want to have as many female-identified employees as possible working for the organization, so we've been pushing that. But there's no, we don't have, like, some secret ratio that we have to maintain. We want good people to provide good instruction at good programming.
4: Terrence Stillen, Rooney, is the chapter director for Skate Like a Girl here in Portland. Let's take a quick music break, and we'll be right back.
5: What up y'all, yeah, soundtrack, what's poppin' baby, woo, uh. y'all ain't know, I go by the name of Lupe Fiasco, representin' that first and fifteen, yeah, uh, and this one right here, I dedicate this one right here, to all my homies, out there grindin', you know what I'm sayin', legally um, and uh, illegally, <laughs> you know what I'm talkin' about? so, woo. check it out, uh. First got it when he was six, didn't know any tricks. Matter of fact, first time he got on it, he slipped. Landed on his hip and bust his lip. For a week he had to talk with a list like this. Now we can end the story right here. But shorty didn't quit. It was something in the air. Yeah. He said it was something so appealing. He couldn't fight the feeling. Something about it. He knew he couldn't doubt it. Couldn't understand it. Brand it. Since the first kickflip he landed. Uh, Labeled a misfit. A bandit. Cocoon, cocoon, cocoon. His neighbors couldn't stand it. So he was banished to the park. Started in the morning. One stopped after dark. Yeah, when they said it's getting late in here So I'm sorry, young man, there's no skating here And so we kick, push, kick, push Kick, push, kick, push Coast, and the way he Just a rebel to the world with no place to go And so we kick, push, kick, push Kick, push, kick, push Coast, so come and skate with me Just a rebel looking for a place to be So let's kick and push got a little older himself, is what his mama said, but he was feeling himself, got a little more swag in his style, met his girlfriend, she was clapping in the crowd, love, is what what was happening to him now, uh, he said I would marry you, but I'm engaged to these aerials and barials, and I don't think this board is strong enough to carry two, she said bow, I weigh 120 pounds, now, let me make one thing clear, I don't need to ride yours, I got mine right here, so she took him to a spot, he didn't know about, some odd in the apartment park.
4: This is the Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM. We are talking with Terrence Stillen Rooney, who is the chapter director in Portland for Skate Like a Girl. Uh, before the break, we were, we were starting to talk a little bit about you, and, and you've been in this position for about a month. Uh, it seems like it's uh, potentially a dream job for you uh, in that it's it's bringing together some of your uh, nonprofit administrative skills and, and, and some of your uh, action sport interest. Um, I want to talk about both of those, those, those themes. Let's start with the, uh, the sports. Where, when did you learn how to skate?
1: Uh, first time I stepped on a skateboard, I was probably 10 years old. Uh, I really didn't start skating, skating until I got into high school. My town where I grew up was primarily like a BMX town, right? Everyone dug trails and we rode our bikes in the woods. Uh, once we got a little bit older, once skateboarding started to break into kind of the popular society, uh, it got a little a little less shunned, and more people started doing it. I was one of them. Um, started skating in high school, uh, bounced around the West Coast for a little while, chasing snow as a snowboarder, and they go hand-in-hand, hand, but unfortunately I was never a very uh, prolific skateboarder, so I'd roll my ankles and I wouldn't be able to snowboard for a week. So took a little time off um, and then started working up at High Cascade Skate Snowboard Camp in Mount Hood, Picked up skateboarding a little more when I was working there because we have great skate facilities. And uh, really in the last few years, I've kind of gotten back into it for more of a personal uh, personal angle. And it's been really, really fun. What what, what
4: was uh, originally or, or currently uh, attractive about skateboarding to you as, as a sport, as an activity? Uh,
1: one of the biggest things, which I think a lot of skaters will tell you, is it's almost like the pure... Um, selfish activity. And I mean that in the sense that you don't have to worry about anybody else. You don't have to worry about a coach. You don't have to worry about your teammates. Um, You know, I do, despite all the action sports that I take part in, I play a lot of team sports as well. And I can tell you, it's nice having some of the frustrations that I have in team sports not exist in skateboarding. I don't have to worry about if the guy next to me is going to land his trick so that I can land my trick. Um, So it's a very individualized sport. Uh you could do it whenever, wherever, all you needed was your skateboard and if it's in the garage when it's twenty degrees out and snowing, or if it's at the courtyard at your school during the summer. Um it was it was very um you can you can kind of do it wherever you want to do it.
4: Um I, I think that's interesting though. You're, I do you coach or for lack of a better word, do you mentor uh, some of the girls that come in to, to have a diverse sport portfolio. The reason I'm asking that, you were just saying, you know, skating can be a very individual sport, but it, it's nice to maybe balance that with uh, some team sports skills and attitude.
1: My biggest approach, which, and I again, I learned this through my time as a skateboarder, spending time with skateboarders. Um, my biggest advice to the kids that come through the program is, do what you want to do. So if you want to play a team sport and skate, great. If you want to be an artist, if you want to be a musician, if you want to be a scholar and skateboard, if you want to do all of those things and not skate, that's fantastic. As long as they're happy at the end of the day, that's what I love to see. Um, I love to see it in any form as long as they like what they're doing.
4: Yeah. And then along that idea and that sort of that advice to yourself, I mean, you've, you've, you've taken that step from going from an activity or a hobby into making it into a profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about some of the, the nonprofit leadership skills uh, that, that you believe that you have and, and that the, the, the hiring committee, the board of directors, uh, saw on you to, to put you in charge of the Portland chapter.
1: Uh, well, probably the most important one is I had a lot of administrative skills from my prior employment at we are camp. So that's uh, for, a lot of people might know it as Windell's and Hike guess uh, I was the executive camp director over there. I was running both of the summer operations, a lot of the winter operations. So that transferred over to the skate like girl programming very seamlessly. Uh, on top of that, I have a very vested interest in female participation in the sports. I did that at my prior job and I'd like to continue that work. Uh, I have a very, very deep-seated interest in seeing kids be happy and progress in their lives. So that's probably the most personally rewarding, even ahead of the skateboarding, um, when I get to see participants in our programming just grow, <laughs> which is really, really easy for a lot of younger kids. Like the the progress that you can see in one day compared to some of our older participants or compared to me Um Sometimes you're like, wow, they're a rocket ship. You know, they'll learn more in a day than I do in a week or in a month. And that's really, really rewarding. Um, seeing kids pick up a skateboard and then not put it down is incredible. Being able to introduce something that was so important in my life to someone else and see it have the same impact is, that's that's like the, the alpha and the omega as far as I'm concerned when, with work like this. I was
4: thinking also just about the organization, it's it's interesting to me. I mean, obviously, um skaters are are known for being individual and having their own style and their mm-hmm. own attitude. Organizationally, how does that play in? You have three different chapters. Uh you guys aren't the Red Cross in that you're trying to just create the same chapter in each city, I right. imagine. How much uh autonomy do you have to create the Portland chapter of Skate Like a Girl as its own? Brand.
1: Yeah. Um, Seattle, uh, and specifically Kristen up in Seattle, she's the Seattle director. Uh, They've been amazing in providing the tools and the resources that I need and providing guidance if I ask for it, but allowing me to have some leash. Like you're saying, like, yeah, we don't want it to be a carbon copy in each location. And truth be told, it can't be because we have different facilities. We have different different people in the community. Like, I wouldn't want to try to do a one-size-fits-all because – that doesn't work with skateboarders like it's just it's it's very hard to do um, so yeah, Kristen's been great. the entire organization's been great. the board's been great
4: where where uh, a year from now where do you think that uh, Portland's chapter of skate like a girl will be?
1: Uh, hopefully in every single indoor skate facility that we can get our hands on um, hopefully in every single school that we have an after school program at. And uh, hopefully having fun with our ladies' nights and all of our events and fundraisers when we're not running programming.
4: I have a 9- uh, and 11-year-old girls. Uh, the 11-year-old has just got a, a long board for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will... I'm excited to learn about your organization, so go get her signed up. That'd be great.
1: We have a lot of skaters that come, and they say, well, I've longboarded for a couple years, but now I'm ready to skateboard. And I say, well, you know, that's skateboarding too, but this is a little different. It's it's a little more active, maybe. Longboarders are going to want to wring my neck for saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Terrence Stillen Rooney is the chapter director
4: for the Portland chapter of Skate Like a Girl. Thanks for coming in to talk to us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
4: Absolutely.
0: This show is made possible with generous support from Chinookbook, whose mobile app rewards your sustainable lifestyle choices with sweet savings at hundreds of neighborhood businesses near you. Use it for tonight's dinner or your next adventure. Download the app free at Chinookbook.com.
4: That is the great German band Kraftwerk playing their song Tour de France. This is the non-profit hour. We don't normally play uh, synthesized music like that, but we have a guest, Brian Mayo, who is the regional director of special events uh, with the American Lung Association and our sponsoring Reach the Beach, which is a fantastic bike ride. Not so much a race.
2: No, it's not a race. It's not a timed event. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a great ride. It's uh, an iconic event here in Oregon. And it's, uh, it's the second largest fundraising event for the American Lung Association nationwide. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah, it's really nice to have that, uh, that appeal and that, uh, that amount of support come from uh, here in Oregon. I, you know, I want to talk about the event more
4: details in a little bit, but but I I'm really interested in that idea that this is the second largest. What what is it about this region that uh, attracts so many people or makes it such a big event as compared to uh, a bike race and or a bike ride in Texas or in Massachusetts? What what is it about Oregon that brings people out?
2: I think that there's a lot of elements. I think that having it a point-to-point ride starting in Beaverton and going out to Pacific City and having that iconic finish um, or scenic finish uh, there at uh, Haystack Rock with the Pelican Pub is um, something that a lot of people want to be a part of. We're also known as the best supported ride in the Northwest. So whether uh, you're new to riding or you have uh, years of experience being part of group rides, you know this is something that anybody can participate in. Um, we have four different starting locations. The one in Beaverton is 104 miles, and then we have one in Newburgh that's 80, Amdie's 55, and then the uh, the Grand Ronde starts about 25 26 miles. So, you know, there's a there's a variety of options for people that can participate, in, and we draw 3,000 participants every year. So, um, it's uh, it's a very large event. It's, uh, it takes a lot of people to, uh, to work on it, and, and we're just so proud to uh, be able to do this for the American Lung Association and be able to have that kind of impact. So May 20th is the Reach the Beach ride. Now, now I mean, Reach the Beach, it's, it's,
4: it's such a well-known ride, but does, does it sometimes eclipse what the purpose is?
2: You know, there's uh, we try to tie in the mission and what everybody's doing the event for. Obviously, it's a fun, uh, fun bike ride, but all the uh, all, the reason that people are out there and and we have three thousand riders is to help support those who are suffering with lung disease and putting uh, putting an end to lung disease and finding cures and supporting our mission and advocacy work. And um, how
4: much? I mean, when you say it's the second largest, you're looking to raise three quarters of a million dollars.
2: That's true. What does that money go to? It goes to support our research, education, and advocacy work, uh, not only here but across the uh, the region. Um, and it also supports uh, different programs that we have that we offer nationwide, like our uh, Lung USA um, uh, uh, toll-free number that people can call in and get, uh, get help from. Respiratory therapists or registered nurses, and and get questions answered about their lung health if they're not able to reach out to their doctor directly. It's a it's a free resource that uh, that we try to provide to everyone. And then we have so many answers to questions available on our website at lung org that um, you know if it's lung disease related, we're able to uh, to answer most questions. Now, American Lung Association. Um has been
4: around and obviously we have been doing very good work for decades. Are, is lung disease getting better, worse? I mean, are, are you guys, are you guys
2: beating this back? It, it depends on what you're looking at. So we started in 1904 to fight tuberculosis and we've, uh, we've kind of uh, uh, got a handle on that one. So now we're looking at different areas that, such as clean air, uh, lung cancer is a major one and, and we're trying to um, put, a nationwide focus on women with lung ca- cancer through our Lung Force campaign. Um, there's been uh, there's been a significant rise of women with lung cancer over the past uh, couple of decades. So we're trying to uh, uh, make that um, that a significant uh, aspect of what we're doing and ha- what we're trying to fight against. Um, there's always the stigma that comes with people that have lung cancer that they were past smokers, and that's not true. Um, you know obviously smoking can lead to uh lung cancer but there's so many other uh factors that play into it and especially here in the Portland area uh radon is the second leading cause of lung cancer and that's something that um we're trying to increase awareness with get pe- have have people test their homes uh on a regular basis and then get mitigated if they have uh have problems um and then you're always going to have have kids and adults that have asthma Uh, you know, there's cystic fibrosis, there's, there's a variety of lung diseases that are out there in addition to making sure that we protect the Clean Air Act and make sure that that stays in place. Absolutely. And, and,
4: and an event like Reach the Beach obviously ties in that idea of, of healthy lungs. And, um, you know, so it'd seem as far as a fundraising event, uh, as opposed to a silent auction or a grant, this obviously has that dual function of, of public awareness.
2: Absolutely. Being able to have that visibility of 3,000 cyclists that come together the third Saturday in May every year and fight against lung disease as they're riding to the uh, the coast. And then, you know, their friends and family that are supporting them at the finish line and having that, uh, uh, you know, upwards of 4,000 people there in Pacific City. Plus um, – it's a fundraising event so they're helping to spread the uh, the word about uh about lung disease and the resources that we have to offer to uh their contacts that they're they're raising money for so so many people uh, uh go above and beyond the minimum fundraising amount and the more that people just share the uh the information about the event and the lung association is more people that we can help and you know if that, uh, if nothing else comes out of it being able to spread the word about the uh, the toll free number at uh, Lung USA um, is uh, is huge for us, and being able to provide that resource. And so, so an
4: individual signs up and is and is pledged, uh, or people pledge certain miles, or what's what's the minimum that somebody needs to fundraise? Uh,
2: there's a registration fee, and then everyone's required to raise a minimum of, of hundred and twenty five dollars, and then as they go. Up and uh, above and beyond They're going to have incentives that they get So at 150 they get a long sleeve shirt uh, 300 they get a, uh, a cycling jersey 550 they get a jacket And then a keeps on going on and on. So um, at $3,000, they actually get a pass to cycle Oregon, uh, which is uh, coveted and something that people want to get to. And then we're also launching a reach the beach, Washington events coming up in September. So if people get to $10,000, they get a uh, an entry into the reach the beach, Washington ride with uh, with their team. But unlike writing a
4: grant or silent auction, I mean, you're not going to have cold rain to deal with. You're not going to have <laughs> tires blowing out. I mean, 3,000 cyclists, it's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, chains that are just des- derailing tires that needs to be fixed. I mean, that's a lot of maintenance the day of the
2: event. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's one of the, uh, the things that we help support people with is, is uh, having uh, SAG vehicles that are on course. We have uh, seven different uh, bike shops that are helping out and providing mechanics. We're having ride-along mechanics, uh, medical folks on site as well. Um, and the uh, the level of support we, we provide has definitely been noticed because uh, there is that, uh, uh, that widely held knowledge that we are the best supported ride in the Northwest. What's the toughest part of planning an event at the scope? Um there's a wide variety of things. I, I try to focus mostly on the uh the fundraising and trying to um help everybody uh get to that $125 minimum which is fairly easy, but the, then go above and beyond that. Um we've uh we've worked out a lot of the kinks. We work with uh, Hood to Coast to help actually put on the events. So with uh with their knowledge of operations and their um uh, their success that they've had, it's nice to have them involved with so uh, so heavily with our events and being able to incorporate um, uh, so many little things that help help make us better. So we've worked with them. I believe this is the fourth year now, and, and it's been a great uh, partnership. And are you a biker yourself? I have a mountain bike but I don't have a road bike so I get out uh, when I can um, and I'm jealous you know I think the barrier to entry for me is just the uh the cost of buying a uh, a new bike to get out there and test it out on the road so
4: Absolutely absolutely and, and and this year uh Reach the Beach has a celebrity Chris Horner
2: Yeah we are so excited to be uh, uh able to have Chris come in and ride with us and uh He's obviously very well known in the cycling community. Um he's from Bend, so it's nice to have an Oregonian that's gonna be able to participate. And then he has lung disease himself, so he has a very strong connection with uh, with our mission work. So um it's I wasn't be... aware of that. Yeah, he uh, he got diagnosed a couple years ago. Um and he's uh he's an asthmatic and then also has some other uh ailments, but uh uh being able to um have that connection with somebody of his calibers really really special and and it's going to be wonderful to have him be part of this event
4: and so so uh those that maybe aren't part of the cycling world so he won the tour uh tour of california and he was i mean he's he's older
2: he's in his 40s yeah
4: and he's in his 40s and he was in the top 10 of the tour de france last year yeah that's that's impressive with 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 uh you know dare i say without doping uh yeah I mean he's 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 really impressive and and seems to be coming on stronger the older he gets.
2: You know, whatever he's uh, he's doing is working out well. So uh yeah, he um uh he's do he's doing great and I know that uh he's he's probably tw- getting towards the end of his uh, professional cycling career. Um but uh yeah, he's he's an awesome guy. And so, uh, reachthebeach dot uh, is where
4: people can find out more information and sign up. There's four different routes, uh, two hundred or sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to scare anyone away. Twenty miles to a hundred plus miles.
2: Uh, yeah, t- uh, twenty five to hundred
4: and four. Uh, which is which is great. Uh, to have that that choice and uh, the money that's raised, which hopefully will be three quarter of a million, if not more. Uh, helps fund the American Lung Association Brian Mayo, our Regional Director of Special Events thank you so much for coming in and talking to us
2: thank you for having me, really Absolutely. appreciate it
4: let's uh, of course go out with uh, Queen and their song about bicycles
6: bicycle, bicycle, bicycle I want to ride my bicycle, bicycle, bicycle I want to ride my bicycle I say white. say bar. I say, say bite. You say shark. I say him. Hey and George was never my scene. And I don't like Star Wars. I say rose. I say Royce. I say God. Give me a choice. I say Lord. I say Christ, I don't believe in Peter Pan, Frankenstein, or Superman.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Nonprofit Hour on xray.fm, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab working to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. To become a supporting member of the Media Institute and find out more about their work, you can visit MediaMakingChange.org. Members receive annual benefits and support programs such as the Nonprofit Hour and the Media Institute's Summer Documentary Program. Up next, we'll take a listen to a short radio piece produced by Barb Seaman, a graduate of the Media Institute's Radio U course. She recently visited Cascade Middle School to learn about how a unique after-school sport is helping to raise funds for library books.
7: Three nights a week, the librarian at Cascade Middle School stays late. Not in the library, though. She's in the gym. Michelle Annette loves being a librarian, but she also loves pickleball. A couple years ago, she figured out that she could combine the two, and both the kids at school and her pickleball friends would be better off. So a new kind of fundraiser was invented. For just three bucks a pop, people have a really nice place to play, and the money goes straight to the kids. In case you don't know about pickleball, here's how Michelle and her friends describe it.
8: I tell people that it's a cross between ping-pong and tennis. And the court is similar, only shrunken. You know, you have the wiffle ball, which is kind of like a ping-pong ball, but you have a paddle, which is bigger than ping-pong.
3: An easy way to get a lot of competition and fast action.
7: I like that it's an older sport where younger people are starting to play. It's good exercise, and um, and you don't even have to be like super good. You can be mediocre and still have a good time. That's what draws people to the sport. And for so many new people getting in the game, sometimes it's hard to find places to play. A couple years ago, the club where Michelle had been playing doubled its price.
8: And I thought, well, I could do some fundraising and have a place to play.
7: It was a brilliant idea, considering how hard it is to raise money for extra school activities.
8: You're selling stuff that nobody wants. And that's like one of the things we do is we do a big cookie dough fundraiser as a whole school. And I hate the cookies. (laughs) You know, it's not good for anybody. It can be so time-consuming and have so little payoff. Okay, I'm going
6: to go put this back
7: Visit the school during the lunch periods, and you'll see how many kids this fundraiser helps. Take Jonathan and Evan, for instance. I don't know him. (laughs) They're both 7th grade English language learners, and they love hanging out together, looking through graphic novels and comic books.
8: On this page is uh, the giant dragon is flying. And, uh, and some people are shooting the ropes into it to catch it.
7: The pictures on these books really grab the kids' attention: dragons, vampires, blue hedgehogs, monsters, all kinds of bigger-than-life characters.
8: <laughs> okay. Tell me what's happening in this page. Oh my goodness! He can transform into a woman. Yes,
7: even a kid that can transform into a woman.
8: What do you like about manga? they having pictures there. Not a lot of text. When kids get into middle school, social appearances and your peers are so important. And so it's essential that kids can have something that they're comfortable with that they can keep working at. Nobody thinks comics are uncool. So if you're not a strong reader, that's a great way to build vocabulary. The hi- history of the world of v- Warcraft. This is indi... <laughs> don't know the word. This is indi... That's a big word. This is indeter. Indeterminate. Um, indeterminate, exactly how the universe began. But it is clear that- Because it's so important that he has printed words in front of him in English that he can keep growing with. I think that's at this age the only thing that matters.
7: The pickleball money is what put those words in front of him. The fundraiser adds between two and three thousand dollars a year to Michelle's library budget. Plus she hosts a tournament each year that brings in about five grand.
8: Under normal circumstances a librarian has to weigh building a diverse collection that will meet a lot of people's needs, but also spending money wisely and buying things that will get used. And now that I have this extra money from the Pickleball fundraising, I can buy a book that I know only one kid will read, and that's fine.
7: But that's just part of the story.
8: So what I would do is pick a table, lay out your squares in a row in the order that you want them,
7: Each week, Michelle has the kids work on some kind of project, and the pickleball money buys all of their supplies. They could be building and racing cars made out of Legos, or knitting hats, or baking cakes. The day I visited, the library filled up with kids learning to make quilts.
8: Not a lot of kids at this school have a lot, and they don't always have a family structure at home that gives them the ability to do things, and so it's just neat to provide those opportunities for them. One of the things that's nice about this is you see the impact immediately. You know, people are getting exercise, there's a definite need for it in our community, and the kids get this great benefit.
7: For the kids in the library, it's a winning combination.
0: That's all for today's nonprofit hour. We would like to thank our guests Brian Mayo of the American Lung Association, as well as Terrence Stillin Rooney, the Portland Chapter Director of Skate Like a Girl. This show was made possible with the support of BusinessWorks, specializing in small business accounting needs of all kinds, from payroll to day to day bookkeeping and beyond. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our radio show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, xray.fm. Our host is Phil Bussey, and our producer and editor is Henry Leisha. You can follow us on Facebook or via our Twitter handle, at Nonprofit Hour. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to nph at media making change.org. Thanks for tuning in to the Nonprofit hour on KXRY radio x-ray.fm. Join us on Monday mornings at 6am and Tuesday afternoons at 1. Have a great week.